it was close to the end of my sophomore year in high school when my parents probably very gently told me that we would be moving from my home of eight and a half years from Richmond to Danville that summer. And of course, I knew, I simply knew that they were ruining my life forever. I was angry. I was horrified. I was scared. I, of course, thought they did not love me. And I might as well just crawl away in a hole and stop eating so that I would wither away and die because life had no more meaning. Well, most of you have been through that age of 15 years old. And so looking back, you can see that maybe you didn't understand the whole picture when you were 15 either. Um, But at the time... When you're going through some sort of difficult circumstance, and not just when you're 15, but even now, it's difficult to see the big picture. It's difficult to have a really good, godly perspective on things when you're in severe pain, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain, whatever it is. And so that's when lament comes in. Now, I think some people have said Christians are supposed to be happy all the time. Can't do it. Shouldn't do it. Shouldn't even try. The Psalms remind us of that. Because a bunch of them are Psalms of lamentation. They're saying, God, where are you? Why aren't you here with me while I'm going through this pain? And this is where we are in Isaiah 64, this period called exile for the Israelites, where people from Babylon had come in and taken the elite away. All the leaders had been taken over to Babylon. That left the younger inexperienced people there to try to take some sort of leadership, and things just fell apart. The ones who went to Babylon saw all the wealth and, you know, great life that these people in Babylon had, and and they worshipped other gods. So, hmm, maybe we should worship those gods? And the ones who were left behind in Jerusalem and Israel, the invaders came in and they intermarried and they worshipped other gods and they thought, hmm, maybe those gods aren't so bad. Because obviously our God has left us, has gone into hiding. Our God obviously is no longer relevant Well, do we ever wonder the same when we hear about the attacks and death as in Mumbai, India this week? Do we wonder whether God is hiding? When three plus years after Katrina and Rita, so many places are still empty in the Gulf Coast and devastated, do we wonder whether God is hiding When we learn about fires and poverty in our church neighborhood, do we wonder whether God is hiding? 
And if God is not holding up God's end of our covenant, then do we need to hold up our end? Why not snuggle under the covers with the world's values, the world's gods, the world's priorities? Why not? One scientist said to another, I've just created a computer that's almost human. The other said, you mean it can think? And the first one responded, no, but when it makes a mistake, it can blame another computer. (laughs) Well, it's interesting how Isaiah sort of blames God for Israel's failures. Did you hear that? But you were angry, Isaiah is saying to God, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. It wasn't our fault, God. You used to make the earthquake and bushes burn, but you've been quiet. You've been in hiding for so long that we just couldn't help ourselves. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down like before. This is Israel's lament. Perhaps it's ours. Where are you, God? You feel so far away. Advent is waiting with expectancy, knowing somewhere down inside that whether or not we can see God, God is there. And God will act. That somehow, sometime, God will respond to our cries for help. Theodore Wardlaw is president of Austin Theological Seminary. He tells the story of a colleague of his, an African colleague named Devison T. Banda. Banda is now president of uh, the seminary in Zambia that trained him. But Wardlaw says that when Banda was first starting out in his first congregation, that he, his wife, and the two children that they had at the time were dirt poor. And the church that they went to serve was dirt poor. There was no pantry shower, as he called it, what we call in the South, pounding. No pantry shower for the new pastor. In their first week, all they had was a little food and a little money, and no one from the church brought anything. No one had anything. When the food ran out, all they had left was what they called mealy meal, cornmeal from which they make a staple in that country called nchima. It's something sort of like grits. So they had mealy meal, and that was it. And that morning, at the beginning of the day, as the family sat for their prayers, Devison says that he prayed, Lord, you passed us by yesterday, but in your providence, don't pass us by again today. Yet in all things, may your name be praised. The day went by, and no food came. At prayers the next morning, he said, Lord, you passed us by again, but surely you stopped by someone else's house. But in your providence, 
Don't pass us by again today. Yet in all things, may your name be praised. That day, again, nothing. Finally, on the third day, food came. And Wardlaw says, as he tells the story about his friend, it's the prayer that sticks with me. In its own way, it too is a lament, poignant, and ultimately expectant. You passed us by again today, yet in all things may your name be praised. That word yet is a powerful word in our passage from Isaiah. Verse 8 out of the nine verses, we read, Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Here at the beginning of Advent, here's our prayer. You passed us by again today, yet in all things may your name be praised. This is our prayer until God tears open the heavens and comes down. Retail sales may be lower this holiday season, but I expect that sales of caffeinated beverages will remain unchanged or even increase. Later nights and earlier mornings began Friday, Black Friday. They became the norm. And so the gospel writer's admonishment to keep awake seems needless. Of course we're going to keep awake. We have too much to do. God. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down and relieve us of the increased stress of this season. Have you ever seen what artists call God light? When usually late in the day, it's cloudy or there's a big chunk of clouds and you see the rays, the sunbeams streaming down from behind that cloud. I love the fact that artists call it Godlight. It's a break in the clouds. It's a reminder to us that things will always not be cloudy as they are at the moment, as if the heavens have been torn open. And you know that the sun is going to reach for you as well. In Advent, though we may be shaky from caffeine, Lillian Daniel points out that we may be asleep to much of what matters. Like people who have lived by the train tracks for years, we no longer hear the sound of the train. After years in the church, we get used to the noise of Advent, to the coming of Christ, so much so that we no longer notice it. Or if we do, it has ceased to jolt us awake and has become instead a low, dull rumble. In our wakefulness to worldly ways, we fall asleep to the spiritual season. And so we need a wake-up call 
from the Gospel of Mark. Like the servants who continue their work faithfully while the master is gone, we are called to remain faithful in our work of following the example of Jesus. Then we need not be concerned about all these signs they are called of the end times or of judgment day. And we can read the Left Behind series as fiction and not as prophecy. As we wait, Martin Copenhaver reminds us that there is a difference between waiting for Christmas and waiting for Christ. Obviously, we know when Christmas will arrive, and we have a sense as to what it will be like when it does. We have the script down. We've done this before. All we have to do is follow it. But waiting for Christ to come or to come again requires something more, an expectant watchfulness, because we don't know when he will appear. And this requires from us a different kind of waiting. Some waiting is passive. But there's also active waiting. A girl who stands on a street corner waiting for a bus to arrive will experience a passive waiting. That same girl standing on the same corner hearing the sound of a parade that is just out of sight will also wait, but it will be a different kind of waiting. It will be full of expectation, awaiting on tiptoe, watching, listening, and active waiting. Passive waiting is simply waiting for the end of the sermon because that means then you can get through the last hymn and get out of here and feel like you've fulfilled an obligation. Active waiting is like watching for a chemical reaction of Bible of music, of offering, and prayer, will it explode like a volcano and change something about your life? Or have you ever watched the bubbles in a glass of Sprite? They just keep coming and bubbling up little by little. They appear out of nowhere, but they're constantly there. Maybe the chemical reaction will fizz in you like a carbonated beverage. Don't wait passively, says Mark. Wake up. Wake up to the beauty of rain. Wake up to the health that we do have instead of the health we wish we had. Like the tender branches and bright green leaves of a fig tree show that summer is returning, Advent foretells the coming of Jesus. This is not a replay of last year. We have changed since then. Hopefully, we have matured. So wake up to yourself, the new and improved you. This church is showing signs of wakefulness. The Women's Missionary Union is encouraging us again to help financially support missionaries around the world. The Cooperative Baptist Fellowship reports that $9.60 will support a CBF field missionary for one hour. For a day, it's $230.40.
Could you give $10 to support a missionary for an hour? You could. And you, some of you will. Dawn is coming. I loved hearing that two Calvary members are now room mothers at Hurt Park Elementary School. Can you see the light? It's getting brighter. Our middle and high school students and their leaders coordinated our giving six grocery carts worth of food to our neighbors right up the street at St. Francis House to feed hungry people. Dawn, brightness, light, God light, shade your eyes. Watching expectantly, you'll see that God already has torn open the heavens and come down. The revelation of John calls Jesus Christ the ruler of the kings of the earth, not the ruler who will be the kings of the earth when he comes back, but the ruler of the kings of the earth. God has torn open the heavens. Jesus has traveled down that sunbeam, that God light, to dispel the darkness around us and brighten our lives, which then reflects onto others. We have just a tiny flame here on the Advent wreath. But it's a symbol of what will be happening in the coming weeks. Because that little flame will be joined by another, and then another, and then another. And we will see that the heavens have been opened. Christ is here within you. Might others see that as well? At the beginning of our service, we prayed, Amazing God, meet us at the beginning of the new year of faith. Open our hearts and help us get ready to receive you. Keep us awake and ready for your coming. For as the dawn surely occurs, so shall you come to us. What sort of chemical reaction are you expecting? Watch expectantly.